No, I just, I. We're recording now. I, I, I can see. Thank you. Okay. I didn't know. I don't <laughs> I know if it pops up on the other side. I'm I can see the flashing uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey red dot telling me to stop saying mean words. Well, I can't to stop do saying that. about certain people, I can still say mean words because we are listed as an explicit podcast. There we go. But um, coconut is just... I can appreciate it on its own and as a flavoring occasionally. Cause I do think that like coconut rum does still taste like suntan lotion to me, but like coconut cream in a thing. Okay. That's fine. But coconut in a cookie. I just think texturally it's like eating an old person. Like it takes something that shouldn't texturally be like difficult and makes it a chore. Like, a cookie should be, like, soft and sumptuous and, like, moist, which is These a gross word. Huh? These are moist. Which is a horrible word to say, like, in front of a Blue Yeti microphone. I 100% do feel like a, uh, like, gross ASMR person. Also, good to know that we're both exposing our shoulders. We're both immodest women today. Um, I mean, I'm inspired by Ibsen, right? <laughs> Not after reading his life. Anyway. So, I don't well, think, hold on, no, 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 before we even start, we need to cross this bridge now. Do you think he gave a hoot about women? Oh, no. Okay. No, I do not, and I, was, I have things to back this up. Um, I didn't need it, but okay, thanks. So, just, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. Today, yes. we're discussing Henrik Ibsen's The Dollhouse. Um, we will Wait, which article did you put in front of it, A or the? I put A. I, think, I heard the, or maybe I said the. I don't know. It's well, because there's like a translation. There's like a, other translations. So. Yeah, there's like a dumb translation thing. That's why I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, it's um. Usually in the United States, it's like the doll's house or a doll's house, um, just because of how our language kind of flows. Mm-hmm. In other countries, it's just doll's house. Yeah, I think like the direct Norwegian translation is just dollhouse. Which sounds like a Norwegian horror movie or like a snuff film. I mean, or a really bad show by Joss Whedon in the uh, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. There was, a, there was a really pretty girl in that that I was really into, and she was not a main character. She was not Amy Acker. Anyway, moving on. Unrelated, but somewhat related. Um, there was a post on Twitter floating around because uh, everyone's watching Hannibal and, rem- and remembering that the series is really, really gay and you cannot tell anyone otherwise. Oh. For about two seconds, I thought you said, ha- we're going to say Hamilton. And I was like, yeah, everybody's, oh. I mean, oh. I've seen some gaying of Hamilton, but that's a different discussion. Um, <laughs> yes. I have seen some gaying of Hamilton, but uh, for Hannibal, everyone's like, this is really, really gay. And there is a snippet that Mads Mikkelsen actually said that he is aware of fan fiction, but only the erotic kind. So is he just like on AO3, just like reading smutty Hanagram? Gosh, is that I what he's- I hope so. <laughs> I hope it's the good stuff, at least. I was like, I know Mass Mickelson has been in a bunch of video games and stuff lately because Mark showed me this trailer for one and there's like all these broken dolls and all this stuff. I can't remember the name of the game. Oh, because of his husband. And I'm like, hello. As he's standing there like all majestic, but like obviously a video game character with like, because he always has something weird with his eye in like everything. Yeah, that's the thing. 
That's a thing. It's actually, I think that's in a TV tropes. And I also just realized I said something very, very flippantly that I have to explain. So I said, oh, his husband, in reference to Hideo Kojima, who is a video game director in Japan, who's on a lot of video games that Mads Mikkelsen is in. And when they are together in Japan, they look like the cutest old married couple. Like, it's Madson. It is the cutest thing. Go on Hideo Kojima's uh, Twitter. And whenever Mads is in Japan, it just looks like this adorable, like, just mixed race married couple. It's the sweetest things. Like, there's, like, this whole, like, internet thing of them being married. And it's, like, a respectful marriage. Um, which is the exact opposite of this uh, book. Um, <laughs> this like, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Tied it back. We're wrapping up my birth month uh, by reading a book about um, some horrible people. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad because there's, like, at least a couple people who are like, wow, life really fucked us, eh? Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, that's cute. You guys are side characters. Bye. Isn't that most plays, though? Yeah. I, I kind of want to have, like, a support group for just the side characters in plays who, like, like get an, screwed an, over. Like an NPC support group? Yeah. Like, um, Maureen's girlfriend in Rent. Like, I want to rescue her. Okay. She's fine. I know. She can she, leave. No one is holding she's her awesome. hostage. Like, Maureen is not magic. She can, Joanne can leave whenever she wants. Did you ever watch the show Venture Brothers? A little bit. There's a whole sequence where the sidekicks are in a support group, like the henchmen. I have seen that. And that's like where my brain just went. You know what? You're probably gonna think this is a little bit weird of me. I did not like how dry Venture Brothers was at times. I love it so much. I don't dis- it's not one of those shows that I will judge you for, like Rick and Morty. Like, at this stage, if you say you're a Rick and Morty fan, I do judge you a little bit. And depending on how you carry yourself, that judgment either, like, ebbs or flows. Because if you just say it, like, once, it's like, okay, a little bit of judgment. But if you, like, have made that your personality, please know I am judging you. Also, to not talk about the book again, if that is in your dating profile- if there is anything that is stronger than not interested, just know that I've done that. <laughs> if you have somehow worked in Rick and Morty into your dating profile, like shows I like, whatever is not interested, just know that I've done that like times 50. Um, See, Mark and I met because I had a quote from Maria Bamford about the missing half of this golden amulet from like my favorite stand-up special she's ever done. Bamford's great. She's amazing. She's insane, and she's the first person to tell you she is amazing. Yeah. Like, I would probably have, like, an Amy Sedaris quote or something, because she's fantastic. Uh, we're not talking about the book. So, we're covering a doll's house uh, in celebration of the final days of my birthday month. Um, it was a quiet birthday, because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, because, um, Tori, your people refuse to wear masks. First of all, it's not all of my people. It's a majority of your people. That's fair. <laughs> it is a majority. It is. If I have to pull up a chart, it is a majority I mean, of your people. <laughs> these are the people who are yelling, give me liberty or give me death. Oh, shit. Death. Um, Did I show you the one where it was a lady holding up a sign and it had um, it had one of those historical pictures of like the slaves on the Amistad. Like, slaves wore masks. Oh, my God. I... 
I did like the one you sent me of the two Americans in the uh, store wearing the freaking Braveheart gear and all the Scottish people ripping them apart about how they were stupid. Right. Thank. Uh, also, I would like to thank uh, Scottish and Irish. I know that they're different, but uh, TikTok for keeping me sane. And also, this is where I go horribly American ethnocentric. How do any of you understand each other? Oh my goodness, it's amazing, and they're wonderful. And they are. I just. I. You. You I have need subtitles. <laughs> so, having lived in Scotland, I yes. will tell you, yes. accents get more difficult the farther you go north. Mm-hmm. but once you actually spend time and you you talk to people and stuff mm-hmm. it's not it's not bad at all okay i trust but to you. be fair i dated a french canadian when i was 17 so when you were how old 17 okay because i only heard seven and i was oh. like uh, i was still way way too young for this guy i mean fair and valid i think we both have like bad first boyfriend stories anyways uh anyway. do we have a creative title for this because i wanted to put in an our house reference by madness uh, but I think, like, we're the only two Americans left alive who know that song. I don't think so. I think there are other Americans who know that song. We're are they 50? Group. We're going... I'm only 35! Well, no, like, the other people in the group is what I'm saying. Some, maybe. We're all going to meet on Thursday, but socially distance. Cool? Cool. Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, I don't have a title for it yet. We can, we can put that on Maybe. The- Maybe one will come up organically. That also reminds me of when I got to see uh, Mamma Mia in theaters and like me and my now former best friend were like the only people in the theater who knew like every song because we're just flaming homosexuals. So of course we knew like every ABBA song. <laughs> I used to get into fights with my wonderful shout out friend to uh, Chris, or Crystal and uh, we would get in I the car. Crystal. You know Crystal. We would drive and... Uh, the beauty, the beauty of it was we would be going up to LA and it was a car ride that would, instead of being 40 minutes, would be two hours. And her thing was, I'm driving, I'm playing the, the ABBA. And um, so I know Dancing Queen by heart. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of the other ones by heart. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like ABBA, but when I miss Crystal, I'll listen to it. I, I cannot stand Mamma Mia. And maybe I just, I maybe it's because I've never seen the movie. I don't know, but I just, my daughter loves it. Okay, so I'm adopting your daughter because. Well, you both don't like coconut, and <laughs> yeah, and I know how to make like cheese. So I have something on you. I have the secret. I know how to make cheese. Um, so that was our uh, sad attempt at a creative title. I, I know. I feel like we said this every podcast episode since the pandemic started. Um, we're very tired. Mm-hmm. So, so we're trying. <laughs> Yeah, when I have a I have a job that is very customer service based, so mm-hmm. I, I'm very tired. Um, I'd also like to apologize if you guys get some nice fan ASMR noise on my end. Um, I have three lights on me because that way, when Tori sees me on the camera, I am not just a pair of boobs and teeth. I was uh, just this weird white blob in the darkness. And Amanda's like, turn on the light, and I, I did. Well, no, I asked you why are you sitting in the dark, because I was worried about your mental health. I was not trying to light shame you. I yeah, was I, cons- I shouldn't tell you about how I sit in the dark when I work all day, should I? Well, I mean, I, no, I do that too, <laughs> which is why I asked how you are, because I do the same thing. That's why I asked you, ma'am, why are you sitting in the dark? <laughs> I'm a miserable excuse for a human being, but right now I am drinking a Merlot and uh, and eating a macaroon, so I'm okay. 
Okay, so we have coconut macarons, or they are macaroons. That's my favorite, like, internet things or people that get those two conflated because there is a difference. A macaron is the fancy Instagram cookie that you think you can make at home and you can't, and also one that Amanda cannot eat. Because it has um, almonds in it and it will kill her. Very good, Tori. Tori passes the will it kill Amanda test. Um, <laughs> and then you have a macaroon. To that one restaurant in town. Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> yeah. Where you just throw peanuts on the yeah we we don't we don't do that oh. my aunts love to take me there though so thank you for having more concern than my family we were gonna take you to logan's that day and i'm like um i just okay, realized this will murder her soul so. in all fairness i body. do love the bread from texas roadhouse so like now that i'm old enough and i can like tell my family hey i refuse to go to a restaurant that will kill me because i can do that now that i'm 30 um I couldn't when I was like 20 something, apparently. Uh, I can just say, can you bring me like a dozen of the rolls and like a tub of the butter, please? Um, so we're eating coconut macaroons because uh, that's what Nora eats. Tori has learned this entire week that I hate these cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, I put nine on my plate because it is an even-ish number and it Instagrams very beautifully. And also, I had to show abundance in my household. How many of these nine I will eat is to be determined. Um, we also have different wines because we were in different households. I sent Tori an, an approved list. Um, you said you're drinking Merlot. Mm-hmm. I have a Harvest Select Sweet Riesling. I was supposed Ooh. to go dry, but I refused. Um, I was like, you're not really into dry wine. I don't like dry. Like, if I can avoid dry at all costs, because there's just something about it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old now. I'm, I'm old and inwizened now. But there's just something about dry wine that turns me into a child. Like, I think I'm bougie and I think I'm fancy until it's like, oh, here's a cab. And I just, like, pucker like those children in those, uh, like, Lemonhead commercials. And it's just like, mmm. Uh, I remember my friend, um, we used to be like very big on the champagne or like the uh, sparkling white if we're being bougie as fuck. And um, eventually she sat me down. Michelle was like, you're going to learn how to drink red because that's mm-hmm. what we have in my house and mm-hmm. we're going to drink a lot of it. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And over a year I learned to really, really like red wine, partially because w- she was paying for it. <laughs> I will drink a sweet red or a red sangria. But like if you throw Merlot at me, I will drink it begrudgingly if you are paying for it, but if it's my money in my house, fuck that. Also, I threw one of the best jokes at you, and you ignored me, which was California White. <laughs> yes. There's a, a picture of a chicken that says California White, and Amanda sent it to me and said, it's you. And I was like, yes, it is, internally. And then I just kept moving on, like... I, I was very this. hurt. I was very hurt because that was the best joke. I'll make like, it up to you with a cat. Yeah! Hello, croissant. You know, he's not really a croissant right now. I don't he's know like, what bread shape that like is. a crescent roll that kind of came undone. Like the one that you had your kid make because they wanted to be a part? Yeah, I want to make it. Um, okay, but you're going to throw off the whole vibe. That's the hardest thing when you're, you're parenting is the do I want to do this right or do I want my kid to help and then at the same time you're like am I a bad parent and you're like okay fine 
here. No, you, you're you just a, you're Sagittarius is what you are. Oh, 100%. <laughs> my friends uh, got me to do that co-star thing. And um, oh when, like the last two days where things have been really bad and I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It literally popped up. You can't fix people. And I'm like, first of all, rude. Second of all, accurate, but I don't want to believe it. I'm afraid to do this. I will do this later. Anyways, uh, so that's what we're eating. That's what we're drinking. Oh, hold on. Let me taste this Riesling while I have Tori. Oh, that's lovely. That's delightful. This is a Chateau Saint-Michel. Ooh, I like their their stuff. Yeah, um, vintage 2018. Fuck you. That's vintage? Oh. Before the world ended. No, no, no. There is one more anachronism that I have to share with you, and then we can talk about the book. So, Tori, we are of similar age. Mm -hmm. Now, I know our listeners uh, can't see this, but Tori, uh, can you make a hand gesture like you're taking a phone call? Yeah, people don't do that anymore. Oh my gosh, really? Is it the flat hand? It's like this, because like you're holding a phone. Oh my gosh, wow. (laughs) I did that on the Breecast to Sophie in her mail, and it's just like, I'm gonna go jump off a bridge. Thanks. It's so amazing the changes that, like, we're only five years apart, but just the changes that occurred within those five years. Because I remember we got dial up in my house, and it was like the world changed forever. And that's right. how I ended up making friends in the UK and mm-hmm. getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, do you want to finally talk about this book since it's been like. Yes. A thousand years and we've yet to talk about what I think is an ab- what I think is an abusive marriage um kind of and that's that's the, the question we're gonna have to dive into a little bit more uh, Yay. so we're gonna it's a three-act play so I'm gonna mm-hmm. be breaking it down into acts for you so if you're like I just need to know about the first act you've got that Who's, what what English class are you in? I still pretend that there are like people in the future who are going to listen to this podcast who are like 15 and like, I don't really have, I don't understand what Victoria, the first read. of all, we swear way too much for children to be listening to this. Understood. But children. second of all, every book we've read is 50,000 years old. <laughs> That's true. And there are spark notes. So y'all have a better chance. All right. Anyway. Act one. Let's go. <clears throat> The play starts at Christmas. Nora Helmer, a wife and mother, comes into the house with a ton of packages. Think the end result of one of those New York shopping montages that are in like every movie where we're gonna go get you some new clothes. Like in Pretty Woman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was like, um, what is it? Enchan- Enchanted when they go shopping. And There's I'm two like, kinds of people. <laughs> anyway. Two kinds of people. Her husband is working in his study when Nora returns. He immediately teases her for spending too much money. Her nicknames from him vary, but in this scene, he calls her Little Squirrel. He teases her that last year she spent weeks making gifts of ornaments and and ornaments by hand because they were completely broke. It'll come Mm -hmm. back to that, Mm y'all. Torvald is up for a promotion at the bank he works at, and Nora's like, why are we being so uptight? We've got a little bit of money. Why don't we use it? Mm-hmm. Just then, the maid announces that there are two visitors, and they have arrived at the same time. One is her friend Christine Lind, from way back in the day, who's visiting. Her husband died and left her with absolutely nothing. She mm-hmm. had no kids, no money, no prospects. It was basically, she got married really young because her brothers um, were sick, or her 
mother was sick, but her brothers still needed to be raised. But now her brothers are all grown up, her mom's gone, and the, her basically reason for getting married at all is over. Aww. But she wants to see if Torvald will hire her because she heard he got a new job. Yay. Their friend, Dr. Rank, has also arrived. He has this version of syphilis that attacks the spine called tabus dorsalis. Basically, it can be either transferred from parents to kids, or if you don't have syphilis taken care of early on enough, it will uh, turn into that. Yes. So they go into that a little bit later, but just to kind of give you the background, he mm-hmm. goes right into the study to talk to Torvald. Nora and Christine talk in depth, and we realize that Nora is an absolutely terrible and completely unempathetic listener. Um, she's not good at hearing her friend's troubles. Instead of being a kind ear, she pops off and talks about how she's had a hard time too right now in the Elmer household. She says, Torvald was super sick, and we had to go to Italy so he could recover. And Christine lovingly tells Nora that she is acting like a child. Mm-hmm. And Nora's like, no, let me give you an example of how I am a selfless adult. This never goes well. It always goes well. <laughs> Nora talks about how she is super resourceful and got money from, quote, an admirer, end quote, to take her husband to Italy. She told Torvald that um, her father gave her the money, but in fact, she illegally borrowed it without anyone's knowledge. She forged her dad's signature. At this mm-hmm. time, women couldn't even sign checks in Norway or request loans without husband approval. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like back in the 70s and 80s out here where you could not get a credit card unless it was under your husband's name. And I know somebody mm-hmm. who bought like crazy and ended up writing like multiple 36-page letters using legal citations to the bank manager. And finally, they just said, here's your effing credit card. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. I miss her. Um I, I miss you, Gay. You were cool. You were really cool. She died, unfortunately. She was, but she was a badass. Anyway, moving on from there because that's sad. Um, Is the play better? No, but okay. I'm just so I'm just Nora has secretly been spending years saving money and doing odd jobs to pay off this loan, so her husband never finds out. See the Christmas mm-hmm. where she made everything. Mm-hmm. When he asks if she wants gifts, she usually asks for money or goes off and says, "Hey, can I t- spend some time doing this?" Where she's doing extra work. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Krogstad, a not a particularly great employee at Torvald's bank, shows up and goes into the study. Nora is very uneasy when she sees him. Dr. Mm-hmm. Rake comes out of the study and says he feels super sick. He, um, he f- says that he has a physical illness, but says Krogstad is morally diseased. Torvald comes out of the study. Nora asks if Christine can have a position at the bank. Torvald is like, this is great timing because, like, um... I need a person and this position just became available. Um, Nora is left alone briefly. Christine Torvald and Dr. Rank leave the house. The nanny brings in Nora's kids. She plays Mm -hmm. with them kind of like they're her dolls. And the Krogstad Mm -hmm. comes in through the open door and surprises Nora. It's like the bad guy with the mustache. You will pay the rent. Anyway. (laughs) Krogstad tells Nora that Torvald is canning his ass and he wants Nora to beg Torvald for his job. And Mm -hmm. she's like, why the fuck would I do that? He goes, remember that time you took a loan out so you could take your husband to Italy? Because I totally know you forged your dad's signature after his death. Mm -hmm. Krogstad walks out the door when Torvald comes in. Nora's like, um, so you know how you were going to fire that Krogstad dude? You like really, really can't. And Torvald's like, uh, yeah, I can. Christine's taken his job. Krogstad is a liar and he committed a bunch of forging signature crimes. 
Torvald says Crogshead makes him sick and that the man is poisoning his own children with moral corruption. Gas ensues. Was that a dog outside? I don't hear one. I just I heard a noise. Is it the demon in my apartment again? It might be. Oh god. Go get the Dr. Pepper holy water. All right, act two. Mm-hmm. Nora is Are you still going strong? I am. All right. Nora's supposed to go to a costume party where Torvald the next day, and she's clearly in a weird headspace because she's freaked out about Krogstad. Christine shows up to help her repair a dress she already has, and she's like, look, see how I'm being so resourceful? Torvald comes home, and Nora again tries to get Krogstad reemployed, saying she's worried he'll publish shit to try and ruin Torvald's career. Cute. Torvald is like, nah, it's fine. I don't give a shit. He's very familiar with Torvald and or he's he's uh, says that Krogstad is way too familiar with him and the other bank staff and so he just kind of blows her off and goes to study in his work or goes to the study for his work. Hi. Uh, Dr. Rank shows up. Nora starts to ask him for a favor but Rank is like hey listen I'm at the end stage of my major disease. I've always secretly been in love with you. It's a thing. And Nora tries to deny the death stuff and is like super disturbed by him saying he loves her. And she does this really super awkward, clumsy explanation of how I love you, but like like a friend. You're you're like a friend. She friends him as a dying man. Krogstad shows up after getting fired. He tells Nora tells Dr. Rank to go ahead and go to Torvald's study, but it, it's mostly just so he doesn't see that Krogstad is there. Um our fired friend says he no longer cares about Nora's balance on her loan, but he's going to blackmail the fuck out of her oh, and no. Torvald into keeping him on the payroll and then promoting him. I mean, like, wouldn't you just want to, like, have him get you a job somewhere else? Anyway, never mind. Um, Nora says she did her best to convince Torvald but that he won't change his mind. Crockstead is like, whatever. I wrote a letter about your forgery. I put it in the locked mailbox, and I know only your husband has a key. Peace. Um, Nora hands Christine a card with Krogstad's contact and is like, Christine, oh my god, please talk to him. And Christine is like, that's funny because I used to date that dude. Um, Torvald goes to get the mail, but Nora's like, hey, so I'm really bad at this dance for this costume party that I'm supposed to do and I'm really anxious. So she dances really, really badly to, mm-hmm. and starts acting fairly irrationally. And Torvald's like, okay, Jesus woman, I will coach you. And then everyone goes off to dinner and Nora contemplates killing herself. Oh, no. Moving on to act three. Mm-hmm. Christine tells Krogstad she only married her husband. So Christine, who previously dated Krogstad, um, she only married her husband because she had no money and had to find a way to take care of her younger siblings and her sick mom. Mm-hmm. Krogstad was way into Christine back in the day. She's like, I mean, I'm back into you. And she thinks he probably wouldn't have forged documents if he wasn't so upset that Christine had bailed and he had no money. Mm-hmm. Crockstad says, hey, I'll take the letter back. It's not that big of a deal. And Christine is like, you know what? Fuck that shit. Torvald should know the truth. And this Nora doesn't get to get away with shit like this. We don't get to get away with shit like this. She doesn't get to get away with shit like this. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like, let's, let's do some friendly tough love. Sure. Torvald and Nora are done with their party and he is quite literally dragging her home because she's like, we don't need to go home. We're, we're done. Let's, let's stay at the party. Dr. Rank ends up following them. They take a while and doc, or a walk and Dr. Rank kind of low-key advises he's pretty sure he's going to die, you know, right away. Torvald goes to get his letters and Nora's like, well, 
time to head out. Torvald confronts her with a letter. He flips out, stating he is now under Krogstad's control, and he mm-hmm. has to yield to his demands and keep mm-hmm. quiet. He berates Nora and says she's dishonest and mm-hmm. unfit to raise their children, and their mm-hmm. marriage is only for appearance going forward. Immediately following this, the maid comes in and gives Nora a letter from Krogstad. The letter is very different from what he sent before. It says, uh, Torvald is like, okay, I'm taking this letter before you can read it. He reads the letter and it's, he starts going, I am saved. And the incriminating bond letter has been returned. He goes to like burn everything. And he's like, this is awesome. Okay, we don't have anything to worry about. And then he's like, you know what? I know I said some shit, but uh, I forgive you, honey. And Nora's like, no, no, we're fucking done here. She realizes he's not the gallant man she thought she had married and that he loves himself more than he's ever loved her. Torvald is like, oh, but see, like when a man forgives his wife, he totally ends up loving her more because it reminds him she's totally dependent on him, you know, like a kid. He's like, you're just a foolish woman, it's cool. And she is fucking done, y'all. She's like, well, it's time for me to leave you and tells him that he obviously never loved her, that he doesn't have her back and that he's treated her like a doll he plays with. First, mm-hmm. this treatment was from her dad, now her husband. Mm-hmm. Torvald insists she stay and be a wife and mother. She decides she can't be a good wife and mother until she learns not to be someone's plaything. She says at first she was worried that he'd do something stupid to protect her reputation, but then he figured out he doesn't actually give a shit about her and would only protect himself if it came down to it. Their marriage mm-hmm. is based on mutual fantasies. Mm-hmm. She hands over her wedding ring and keys. Torvald cries. Nora leaves the room and Torvald briefly thinks he hears her come back. But then he realizes it's just the sound of a downstairs door closing shut. Brief aside. Yes. In Germany, there's a different ending, which we'll talk about in a little bit. However, Correct. the German ending is very rarely performed. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> Moving on. Um, can I just say... I think the ending of this play is like one of the saddest things I've read in a while. And like, and I remember that even when I was younger reading this because of, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. Amanda is a very, very soft Torvald apologist in the list of a bad men Amanda simps for fictionally. I mean, I stopped taking you seriously after Tom Buchanan, so. I said he was a product of his time. And I will say the same thing for Torvald. Uh, Mostly because, in my mind, he is very attractive. He probably isn't, but in my mind, he is an attractive man. Um, but I still think this is one of the saddest endings to, like, a thing I, I've read in a while. Um, which I think is amazing, because I rarely feel things. And the audience, the initial audiences, were very shocked by the ending. Oh, I, I can't fathom how this ending would go over, like even 50 years ago. Yeah, and this was late 1800s. Right, like, yeah, like, honestly, even, like, 50, 60 years ago, I can't imagine how this ending would go over, yet alone, like, 1800s, 1900s. Like, this was, I mean, it was revolutionary. Um, I have feelings about this play that I forgot that I had. Mostly, uh, during my English class, when we covered this in high school, we had a huge debate on, like, who was the bad guy. 
And it was basically a giant game of look who has trauma and what kind. Because <laughs> basically, if you sided with Torvald, you probably didn't like your mom. <laughs> if you sided with Nora, you probably didn't like your dad. <laughs> Is it weird that I side with Dr. Rank? Well, no. I mean, uh, for, for the forced dichotomy. I mean, realistically, no one sides with anyone we wouldn't be there. Right. But like if you have if you have to pick like who is the antagonizing force, basically that game ended up being like, let's air the drama of a bunch of high school kids and make them explain. <laughs> so that might be a fun debate to have later on. But uh let's for now do a little bit of theming, shall we? Yeah. So one of the the big things and Dr. Rank talks about this is ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. Physical illness versus mental poisoning. Ah. Uh, I mean, okay. So syphilis is an interesting disease, especially in that instance, because he could have contracted it from birth, so it's not even technically his fault. Um, also, encephalitis due to syphilis is possibly one of the reasons why so many kings were crazy. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Um, because we can't dig up skulls or brains <clears throat> anymore. Um, the idea that you can be that emotionally or mentally corrupt technically goes back to the Middle Ages, um, but it's still kind of a thing. And then also the whole like mental illness being a bit of a portent for like some sort of physical failing. You'll often see the two kind of conflated like, oh, well, this person's a dick because of other stuff. Or, like, they're physically ill because they're also a jerk. Um, here's the real tea. Most disease is pretty capricious. Mm-hmm. Lupus does not know or care if you've cheated on your wife. If it does, I have some questions for lupus. Um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of House, if you can't I was going to say, it's never lupus. Are you watching House? <laughs> It was lupus, like, the one time. Yeah, the one time. The one time it was lupus. And everyone, like, shit themselves. (laughs) Like, the one, the one episode. Um, So I think this is an interesting idea that, like, given in the 1800s, because typically by then, we are getting more science. Not as much science, but more science. That we still have the, like, last gasps of, oh, well, if you're not a bad person then everything is fine and you will in theory be healthy um also fun fact is like no one stigmatizes syphilis the same way anymore but also like i'm pretty sure it's mostly eradicated do people still get syphilis is that a thing um yes but because we have such um so much better treatments for it now it's something that can be addressed fairly quickly right rather than mercury which was the only other treatment or you just ignore it and then years go by and you have multiple children and uh, they develop issues. As we've talked about with the Tuskegee study. Although that was not anybody's fault other than the say, I don't think- <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, the Tuskegee study was terrible. You are right. Um, okay, so that's your physical illness uh, versus your mental poisoning. Also the idea that like miasma, a uh, bad, uh, people can infect or corrupt, almost like a Dorian Gray kind of thing. That like, and oh, you ruined children. That's something that Torvald goes on and on and on about about 
and it just makes Nora feel like crap because it's like Krogstad does this and he does this and his children are going to be this way and this is what's going to happen and I would never want anyone poisoning my children and I'm sitting there going what <laughs> you dude I mean but like we still see parents that are like that or like they will ha- mm-hmm. like they will hire babysitters that have tattoos and stuff like that I mean we still see parents that do that. I'm not condoning this behavior, by the way. I'm just saying there are still oh. people that do that. We live in Texas, obviously. And, um... Is it obvious? I mean, we say it every episode, but, yeah. like, otherwise, is it obvious? But, like, I remember my kid coming home from school in third grade and being like, men who kiss is icky. And I looked at her and I'm like, who the fuck told you that? I, was saying, you hit I, her didn't, with I didn't say the F word, obviously, because she was a baby. Babe. and she goes baby. my friend's my friend's daddy said that i'm like your friend's daddy is an idiot she's yeah, like your, what? your friend's your friend's dad is a bigot i'm like let's let's break some stuff down and it's like and she's like okay that's weird she goes i don't understand why he doesn't like people and i'm like oh. i go people get scared about what they don't understand so don't don't worry about that and that's that's kind of become our our big are thing. you trying to x-man teach <laughs> no Lawrence? So, uh, the, I follow the Newkirks pretty heavily, the, uh, Greg Adina Newkirk, that whole, like, mm-hmm. traveling museum of the paranormal and occult, which they're freaking hilarious, but their whole yes. thing is curiosity over fear. Okay. And that's become a big thing in my life, is curiosity mm-hmm. over fear. Why am I afraid of this? Let's find out. Let's go in here and figure out what's going on behind Because it's scary. Yeah, and it honestly <laughs> has changed so much. Why am I afraid of this? Okay, well, this is legitimate fear. What are the following things that I can do to protect myself? Okay, not so scary anymore. Okay, so I was watching uh, Unexplained Caught on Camera uh, for my birthday, and there was a scene where this dude was in, like, an obvious poltergeist house, and he has a cross on his dining table. The cross moves to the center of the table. Nothing touched it. And then it spontaneously combusts. I still love that show, man. I showed my daughter the episode where that guy is out in the woods in Russia with his dog, and they go around the corner, and there's that little girl, like, floating in the air. Oh, I hate that. I, know, I love that's, that so no, much. I hate it. I hate it I'm so like, much. That, and the funny thing is, that is part of what started my obsession with Russia and the paranormal. Oh, because, it's my fault? Because I let you, you partly, two live. Um, <laughs> the obsession with the Cold War, that's all because of my dad traveling in the Soviet right. Union right after the fall. Um, well, the uh, traveling in russia after the fall of the soviet union there we go makes more sense yes before and after whole other thing but reading all about like the psychological tests and stuff that they would do to try yeah. and encourage psychic behavior and the fact that the united states was doing the exact same fucking thing and we thought that they were way far ahead than we were mm-hmm. i told my friend that i want to do like a kind of a drunk history episode for her where i just like go off for 50 minutes while drinking a bottle of wine about the psychic cold war and she's like when can we have this so anyway moving on yeah, i also know Back too to much play. about this uh so if you need a moderator i will also drink wine with you and talk about the psychic cold war um so that's your physical illness versus mental poisoning uh the children are going to be all right there's they're they're probably fine i they're, they're good they don't they're fall. probably fine um, um and if they're not fine it's your fault one of the symbols that i found was really interesting is um Dr. Rank's Black Cross notifying that he was going to leave that 
for Nora when he would no longer be coming around anymore so that she would know and he would not be bothered in his last hours by people being like, oh, you poor thing. Um, but just that image of that black cross and knowing towards the end that the play is almost over and it also shows up right before the marriage ends as well. And I thought that was interesting. It's a cool symbol, but it's about as subtle as getting punched in the neck. Oh yeah, no, it's totally a neck punch. That's so I hate it. <laughs> like it's, it is a cool symbol, but it's about as subtle as getting punched in the neck. Speaking of a lack of subtlety, uh, guess what musical just got a uh, right allowed for high schools? Is it Hamilton? No, it is Phantom. Oh, oh. I remember we joked about performing that at my high school and my teacher mm-hmm. is like, we don't have the budget for that. She's yeah. like, where in the hell are we going to get a giant chandelier? I think we've talked about this before. We did, and that's one. actually why I kind of brought it up because uh, Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber finally said high schools, you can do Phantom because what he would do, much like an Anne Rice, would send cease and desist to high schools <laughs> saying, stop doing my shit. You're welcome. Mm. I don't see him doing that for Starlight Express. Because no one likes Starlight Express. No one likes that. I want to know how much cocaine was involved in the decision to do a musical on roller skates about a train. Anyway, I mean, probably as much as Cats, so. Okay, no, no, no. Because I've seen a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about Cats. The tragic thing about Cats is there's zero cocaine. He's just genuinely that passionate about this dumb book that T.S. Eliot did. Like, he's just genuinely that passionate about, and I can say it's dumb because I've also seen Cats, and I say this lovingly and not pejoratively. He's just genuinely fascinated by it. That's the worst part, because I would love for it to be a cocaine nightmare, like it. It's not. Like a cocaine nightmare. That time he wrote a song. Yes. Anyway. Our, our next mask that we can't sell on a red bubble because it's mature content. Um, <laughs> so, I know, I'm so bummed. I'm glad the White Tears one works, though. Anyway. So, um, we didn't talk about this being actually kind of feminist. So, for Ibsen, it was accidentally feminist. Um, his whole thing was that he felt, and I put this down a little bit farther, mm-hmm. um, the concept of being equally yoked from the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. The whole concept of two partners should be on equal footing with each other or there's mm-hmm. going to be problems. Mm-hmm. So for him, the character of Nora has been denied these opportunities to be on the same level as her husband. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear that Nora has the capability, the interest, mm-hmm. and just honestly, the general skill set to do as well as her husband, if not more so. Mm-hmm. But because of societal mores, she's very much pigeonholed into, you are this model, you are mm-hmm. a wife and a mother, mm-hmm. go forth, that is what your capabilities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and she shows this by, you know, the fact that she manages to get a loan to take care of her husband, even though it's illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very big on, I hate this phrase, but it gets used all the time and everybody knows what it means. She thinks outside the box. Um, she um, when she knows that she has to pay off a large portion of a bill she makes Christmas for everyone and yeah the cat kind of destroys it but she does what she can she she makes something out of nothing 
But it's also never framed well. Like it's always framed as like devious and bad. And like that might be one of the reasons why like I was kind of more anti-Nora when I was younger is because like her freedom, her expressing herself, her thinking outside of the box was never framed as anything positive. Her her resourcefulness is always framed as deceitfulness. Well, and not even evil, just selfish and neglectful. Like, I never demonized her. And I guess, like, this is where I air some of my trauma. I don't like Nora because she reminds me of my mom. (laughs) And Tori knows exactly what I'm talking about. I won't air every trauma here because we don't have five hours. Um, But she reminds me of my mom that, like, yes, looking back, that resourcefulness, that ability to get shit done, that desire to be your own woman for better or worse, I never saw that as positive until she was, like, dead and in the ground and, like, 10 years later. But, like, as a child looking at it, it never looked good. So, like, when I was reading this in high school, only a few years removed from my mother's fuckery, Nora's actions and, frankly, the way Ibsen frames it is never positive. It's never lit like this is a good thing so you do have to give some credit that like in hindsight or with more modern eyes this is remarkably feminist even if it is accidental and even if it is uh poorly done in a lot of ways almost like uh the reconquista that queer people will do with like queer coded villains that like will take a bad thing and make it good oh <laughs> except for that one hot take on a road to el dorado that i'm still upset about the whole thing about them being colonizers yeah oh my god i'm just I saying to... cortez was right on the shore all right I, I have to explain that don't i so uh twitter has been a place for terrible hot takes and i say this is a hot take prince but i always try to have like backup for my hot takes and they're never baseless tori you are my editor-in-chief have my hot takes ever been baseless no and you support your ideas and that was our, our initial conversation is you're like i'm gonna write a hot take and i went Okay, but <laughs> just remember that I want to see support and background, and you're like, no problem. Like, oh. No problem, Chief. I've been stewing on this for 12 years. <laughs> but there was a hot take on it, Road to El Dorado, which I think is one of the greatest animated movies that no one cares about. Um, I, I love that movie, mostly because um, it reminds me very much of my husband and his one of his best friends. And then, like, going back and people being like, oh, they're super gay, and me being like, I... Did I stutter? I think they're super bi, and that one girl was super horny. Uh-huh. Like, did we, did, did no one, who screened that? Um, I'm also, my husband, I, just so I can clarify, does not associate, associate as anything other than heterosexual. I mean, thank you for... Not that he doesn't, he doesn't listen to this podcast, so it's not like I'm worried about it, but... Also, I'm not concerned about your husband's sexuality, your, your husband, ma'am? Um, husband. But uh, to the point, there was a horrible hot take on Twitter where someone said, uh, I, this movie is terrible because it tried to make me relate with colonizers. Because I'm not explaining the plot of Road to El Dorado. You can probably surmise it. And it's like, leave those bisexual men alone. Just leave those bisexual men alone. That's all I have to say about that. They are running away. They want to be left alone. Right. They have, they're, they're a beautiful uh, thruple. Just leave them alone. Are they not a thruple? They become a thruple, yes. They become a thruple. They have this adorable armadillo that they've adopted. They probably eat it. Like, those are also food. Um, okay, so it's somewhat feminist. Uh, 
depending on who you are and how much uh, mileage your trauma has, uh, you may see it as more or less feminist. Also, depending on when you're reading this. So again, like for me, reading it when I was like, oh God, this was high school. I was maybe 17, 16 or 17. I didn't see it as feminist back then, but I also didn't know what feminism was. <laughs> we didn't have to read it for school, so I read it for fun about the same age. And I remember being like, nerd. Okay. Like, Torvald doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, Maybe. I don't, I still don't. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, should we talk about a, a woman's role and how that has changed? Because uh, much like with the Glass Menagerie, we do have some uh, very traditional woman roles that we need to talk about. And again, how our modern lens may be making this harder to deal with. There's actually a really good short film that was released by The Guardian, which is called Nora. And it's a response to this play, but a, a modern adaptation. Mm -hmm. um, so I will include the link on our website, but I watched that Excellent. actually right before we started recording. So Ooh. it attempts to, to show that change of a woman's role over time. Mm -hmm. um, in this, the major expected roles for Nora are to run the household, mm -hmm. to care for her children when they're not with a nanny, mm -hmm. which they're usually with a nanny, mm -hmm. and to be a quiet, compassionate, understanding wife. Mm -hmm. um, Just like her, the modern day South. Yeah. Her whole job is to be as quiet as possible and to make Torvald's life as easy as possible while still mm -hmm. making him look as good as possible. Just like the South. Um, now, this has changed a little bit over time with, you know, Gloria Steinem and um, Angela Davis and women's liberation and the fact that because of our current economy, most households are a two two-party income household mm -hmm. um but something to remember it, 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 especially when you're looking at the lens through christine's life in the play mm -hmm. not everyone has that luxury not everyone has that ability to spend time to find out who they are christine mm -hmm. found out who she was because she was thrown into a position where she had no money no children no family no support mm -hmm. no husband and had to learn how resourceful she could be Mm -hmm. So she is one of the characters in the play that has the most skills and mm -hmm. is able to come forward and be like, I can fix your dress. I can work at a bank. I can do this. And I, I think it's very powerful. And she doesn't get talked about it very much, um, but I think it's very powerful that when she goes to Krogstad, she's like, listen, I like you. You like me. We both have had pretty shitty lives. I think we do really well together. And she was very upfront, like, I want to date you. I want to be with you. And he's like, mm -hmm. cool, because I've wanted that forever. But also the whole portion where he's like, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to get that letter and stop all this bullshit. And mm -hmm. she's like, no, no, <laughs> because Nora has kept this from Torvald their entire marriage. Mm -hmm. This is just something that's going to get to fester and get worse. And just mm -hmm. over time, everybody's going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. Put it out on the table. But... I also think that Christine is interesting because, as you mentioned, she also has the most skills that are useful to others rather than Nora's, which are mostly useful to herself, um, which, on a weird level, which, since none of you have given us feedback on whether we should stop talking about Harry Potter, Nora as a Slytherin, <laughs> I think is an interesting sort of 
a dichotomy there because I think we can frame Christine better because she has skills that are more useful to others rather than Nora, who has a lot of skills that are useful towards self-preservation. Also, Ibsen, 100% a Ravenclaw. We'll get into that with his final words. We will. Um, but I, I love that mostly because I feel that in 75% of my uh, interactions with human beings is that <laughs> because I have a lot of skills that are great at self-preservation, I tend to come off as really selfish sometimes. And no, I'm just a Darwinist. Like I'm surviving? I am surviving. Um, So I do think it's interesting that we frame Christine in a better light because, oh, let me help you with your dress. Let me do this. Let me do that. Rather than, oh, we need money. Bye. (laughs) um, So we do have to talk about that because I do think, especially as we get farther and farther away from a lot of this stuff, um, because, and and I can speak to this, reading this in high school, Um, This was one of those books like The Glass Menagerie where this should have felt very distant, but it didn't. Right. And that bothered me. So I kept making these little jabs like like the South. It's like, this is one of those books that I feel like when I was reading this in 2007, oh God, I'm old, uh, that this should have felt very distant, that this should feel like Huckleberry Finn or like the Aeneid or something. And it didn't. Like, this just felt like people I knew, but white. And that's kind of scary. And, like, even reading this now in 2020, after my birthday, this still feels like people that I know who talk about their marriage. This still feels like a conversation that I've had with friends that are in long-term relationships. Like, none of this feels outdated or anything. Like, this just feels like, in flightier terms, like, listening to a friend complain about their boyfriend and that's concerning to me that we've progressed but only so much and that's kind of what we had had as a note here of the comforting prison of an easy life right um it's this as somebody who's been in a long-term relationship now for almost four years um Mm -hmm. there are times where you're just like holy fuck did you just really say that right now Mm mm-hmm I am tired. I'm going to bed. And in your head, you can have 45 different arguments and you're like, okay, but I still want to stay married today. <laughs> just um, today, though. Just today, though. Tomorrow, um, TBD. <laughs> TBD, yeah. Um, did you take the trash out? Okay, you can live another day. Like that kind of thing. Um, and we do see this also in her, as you put it, cookie-based rebellion. Um where she's got these cookies and he's like we've agreed that we're not going to eat any sweets and she's like yeah we're totally not and then as soon as he's not in the room she's eating cookies like so that's also like a big thing uh you'll see southern women do that a lot where um okay do not out them but if you know a southern bell like a true southern bell find or ask where their little sin cabinet is <laughs> And everyone has one, but they all have that, like, secret part of the pantry, because, you know, the man doesn't go in the pantry, or there's, like, a secret cabinet in the kitchen, because, again, the man's not in the kitchen, or maybe by her nightside table, because ain't nobody touching that, and I will guarantee you, you will find every vice right there. (laughs) What I love is the women who have, at this point, done like the super healthy cereals where they've taken the bag out and put their stuff in it yeah and like kept in the cabinet yeah 
or my favorite, those resealable vegetable bags. Yes, I was like the ones they that put are... the chocolate in there, and they yes. seal it up, and they put it in the back, and nobody ever freaking touches it. Yeah, I think my uh, the best that I've seen is um, taking ice cream bars and putting it like in a bag of frozen green beans. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, no one touches it because it's like they're frozen green beans. Who's looking for that? My kid like, oh. totally stole my entire remaining amount of Thin Mint that I had because I put them in I the would freezer. No longer, I would no longer have a child. I, I, I told her it was okay after she, well, after she started because I was like, well, I wasn't going to eat those anytime soon. That's a lie. That's I a lie, lie and you know it. Comforting prison of an easy life. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's true. And it's like, and, and to the cookie-based rebellion, I love it because... It is one of those weird things that, like, there are very, very few things that women even now have control over, which is sad. We do have more control. Uh, depending on how this goes, I might talk about Dusty, uh, the world's prettiest doll, just to cover things up. But um, in the places that women can exact control, we do it. So one of the biggest places that oftentimes women in positions like that can exact control is their diet and how they eat. And that's when they'll rebel, which is why so many Southern bells are usually big. And why they course it to death. Because any opportunity they have to say fuck you to their husband and eat a sleeve of cookies, they're doing it. Well, I made the mistake of looking up Dusty, the world's most beautiful doll. <laughs> what have you done? So Dusty was created actually after women's lib and was inspired to be like an anti-barbie because look at how tan and athletic she is tori do you see how tan and athletic dusty is she looks like she's trying to do blackface at a bad college party tori do you see how tan and athletic dusty is lord so dusty was created to be like a hey uh women are cool and they do stuff and they're really, really strong. I'm putting it on the Instagram, you guys. Don't worry. I'm so glad. Uh, she can do a tennis thing where, like, if you pull her back, she'll fling a tennis racket. Um, so she's a women's lib anti-Barbie. That's Dusty. And she tell me you learned like a... about this because of Trixie Mattel. Please tell me. I did. Okay. Trixie has one. And Katya loves her. <laughs> Katya thinks that... Dusty looks great. There's also, a whole episode of that. Don't don't use don't use Yahoo to look anything up. I don't know what it is, but they won't bring anything up. And then you put it in Google, and it's like, boom! I'm like, okay. Well, because like, does Yahoo still exist for anyone? Um, older Republican. But yes, uh, there's actually a whole episode of a uh, Trixie and Katya's web show where they talk about uh, Trixie's massive doll collection, and that's how I learned about Dusty. Uh, so. Congratulations, now you know about Dusty. She's a nightmare, and I love her. And the fact that, like, they said she looks good. They were like, this is great. We're going to mark, we're going to send this to children. <laughs> so thank It, it kind of reminds me of, um, there's something about Mary, the super tan, like, roommate, or whatever. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie, so I can't. So, so that's it. Dusty. I hope that she is a balm because uh, we've been talking about some sad feminist stuff. Uh, we did talk about some equal yoking. Mm -hmm. so still... Yeah. I hate that term. Can I just say that because it sounds gross to me? 
makes us sound like we're all oxen. I mean, I was thinking more of like a weird BDSM thing, but yes. Um, which leads us to our final note, which we talked about a little bit. It's like, should we just like air our mommy issues on stage? Because I, I think, as I stated prior, this is a great litmus test to your trauma. <laughs> this is an excellent like peek into any individual psyche. And I think this, the best thing about this is, so now that I've read those being older and having lost my mom and having to have reframed her entirely because death does that. I don't know why. I don't know why like death does that where you have to like recontextualize an entire ass person. It's, it's interesting because I think our, our knee jerk reaction initially after somebody dies is they were perfect and they never did anything wrong. Right. And then after, you know, a year or two of your grief process, you're like, Oh, I remember this. And I remember this and who right. oh boy. But then there are also little things that you were like, Oh, that's just something stupid. They do became becomes like this whole thing where that's a core memory for you. Right. Or now you're at my stage where like extended family will tell like my aunts some shit and then my aunts will tell me and I'm like, okay, what do I do with this now? It's like a nugget. Th- it's, like, it's like someone like handed you like a block and it's like, what do I do? Um, Enjoy so, the parcel of crazy. Like pretty much. It's like, hey, here's this really awful thing your mom never told you. I found out of this at brunch. It's like, oh, thanks. Question mark. Um, <laughs> So this is a great test of just airing your trauma. And I think this is, this is the best case of literature where the answers that you derive are so personal and so individual. And I 100% think that they change because they've changed for me. Like I said, I went into this pretty much hating uh, Nora and simping for Torvald because, oh, she's awful because she walked out on her family and boo her for being bad and now I'm looking at her and it's like this is a woman who did her best I still don't think that Torvald is that bad I don't think he's good but I do not think in comparison that he is that bad I actually kind of like him and I think that Ibsen couldn't write somebody who at least wasn't a little bit sympathetic in this regard because it would not have gone over at all I don't even think he's that sympathetic. I think he's just realistic. Like, I think, again, like, depending on who's reading a lot of Torvald's dialogue, he sounds super, like, in that last part where he's, like, flying off the handle. In all fairness, like, his wife did do something bad. Like, you wouldn't want him to be like, thank you for committing tax fraud, honey. Like, you wouldn't want him to be okay with that. Like, but I think just depending on like who reads it and how their inflection is, it usually comes off as like um angry dumb. Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? Like it usually comes off like that. That has become like the biggest joke with um my friends because mm-hmm. of that part that mm-hmm. he said calmly. Like it's just constant in, in all of my little book circles. Cause it's because it's a great line, but like I think that's how everyone reads it in their minds. But like realistically. If you came home and it's like, oh, honey, I did a tax fraud. Is that not? <laughs> oh, I would, I would punch my husband in the throat. I'm right. Not- like you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, okay, sweetie, we're going to talk about our feelings. I'm going to validate and uplift you first. And now I'm going to take some time. I have the stick. It's now my turn to talk. Like, no, you're not going to sing fucking kumbaya and like go to couples therapy. Someone's getting stabbed. Probably with a fork. 
know, I know somebody who got stabbed with a fork once. Anyway, <laughs> that's not my story to tell. No, it's not. It is not your story to tell. I didn't stab them, just so I we're mean, clear. I didn't think that. That wasn't my uh, initial thought. There is a note in here that we left out. Uh, which one? <laughs> and that is Torvald calling his wife every name but her name. Oh my gosh. Yes, it's it's always Little Squirrel or... Which one is your favorite and which one is your least favorite? I, I, like, I like and hate Squirrel in equal measure. I hate Squirrel the most. I actually think that a spendthrift is kind of cute because you can almost feel him being angry for like the first time. Where it's like, you little... You sweet little thing. And it's like there's that little bit of menace of like, I'm watching you. But I have to be nice because if I murder you, people will see it. Oh. All right. So Oh, before we go, I'm not allowed to watch any more episodes of Killer Clergy. What is that? Is that like an investigation discovery thing? Yes! So I was looking for Killer Kids, which is somehow way worse. And I found an entire docuseries about clergymen who have murdered firstly there are too many episodes of this series did you see the one about texas there's multiple about texas okay. ma'am there was one about this uh priest who had like assaulted and murdered a girl in his church and yes then, like that was crazy and then he yeah. moved on to another church and the church covered up for him and it was yeah. like so there's like a bunch in texas there's too many in texas frankly like, for, for, like, a 10-episode series, I think, like, four are in Texas, and I'm not okay with it. <laughs> like the, our, yes. our backer, Chris, I know that your church, your clergy would not kill anyone. He is far too nice to kill anyone. I'm glad as- you feel that way. I, as a Roman Catholic, ma'am, you are not using a back scratcher in front of I am. I'm itchy. Go on. I'm now scratching the cat, so it's okay. Boring. Now it's better. I just see Tori remove a torture implement from a drawer. <laughs> I wasn't trying to call you out. I was just trying to process what was happening. Oh no, Nemo appreciates where this went. I'm. Gl- I also appreciate where it went for Nemo. But um, yeah, there's so many episodes of Killer Clergy. Uh, that is also on Hulu. If you want to, if you want to watch it, you are welcome. Ken Majorly also recommend Travel Man with Richard Ayode from um, the IT crowd. Yes. He is so deadpan. He does all these travels through the world. There were like five seasons. I'd never heard of Travel Man, but it I've is. Seen, I've seen a couple of episodes of it. So freaking funny. They go to Iceland. I need mm-hmm. to see if they go to Norway at all. I haven't looked at Norway yet. So there is a decent Andrew Zimmern episode where he goes to Iceland and he goes puffin hunting. And it's one of my favorite things in, in television. Wait, kill puffins? Oh, yeah. They're delicious. No. They're, they're very tasty puffins. they're so cute they're very delicious there's a lot of them so he's like sitting on like a cliff face and he has like this really really long net because apparently like to catch a puffin like you hold the net i'm gesturing you guys can't see this uh tori i guess assumes that i'm holding either the strangest dildo on earth or like a badminton racket so you take the net and like the net's really, really tall and like you go backwards <laughs> with the net really fast to get the puffin so it's like bug hunting and animal crossing yeah, pretty much. Uh, so he does, he's doing that with like a bunch of Icelandic dudes and he's like on this cliff face and he's like, here, puffin, puffin, puffin. And it's like one of my favorite things in television. I don't know why. Uh, we're not talking about the book. So yeah, uh, Torvald sure does call his wife everything but her name. Yeah. Almost like he doesn't value her. Like it's a really dehumanizing thing. 
it's also one of those things that like as a southerner uh, which i think is like five boxes ticked off if you guys ever yeah. get a bingo please show us because i want to know what you get bingo on i'm pretty sure it's either trauma or singing most of the time i feel um, like we need to add in a space for every time that i mention my cat yeah we do need to have like a like a quarantine one which mentions a off-screen or on-screen cat um but that's one of those things as a southerner that i've really had to come to jesus about which is the way that we use uh nicknames either to like devalue or show value to people because as tori has learned uh we southerners have this beautiful double talk where uh just because we call you hun doesn't mean we actually care about you the whole bless your heart thing for eternity like now most people have caught on to that but no i think some people tori i'm gonna point you to a conversation that we had that you should know exactly which one i'm talking about that i can't say more about because we know the people involved oh yes okay but there is a conversation that we shared and uh i got to be the shadiest bitch in the room and tori had to bring a lamp because it got shady in there um and it was hysterical because every person involved in this conversation thought you, you were know. being helpful. And I have Tori in my DMs. You are the shadiest person I've ever met and I love you. <laughs> like, I can't believe you just wrote that in a public group. And no one noticed. Um, also, last night I picked a Twitter fight and um, I quoted Churchill in like my private conversation about it because so i picked a twitter fight and then i said i was leaving twitter for a little bit and my friend was like oh like are you leaving because of like the twitter fight i'm like no i'm leaving because of rupaul's drag race please understand that when it comes to this twitter fight i will fight her on the beaches i will fight her in the trenches because um, that's the amanda goes full general Patton. like that is like that is like the full that's who I am. I'm old and pugnacious now. I will pick fights on the internet, but I had to leave Twitter uh, briefly because of RuPaul's Drag Race. I do not know who won season five of All Stars yet, which means that if you post anything on Twitter today for the podcast or anything, I will not know about it probably until Monday because I will not be spoiled. I got spoiled like for two seasons in a row and I am upset. Um, anyways, uh, do you want to do some notes on some text and, uh, I have so much Heinrich. stuff, including, oh my God. Tori, why? why are you talking about everything in here? Tori, why? Why did you do this to yourself? So, because this man, all right, was after a certain point in his life, oh, to everyone involved, but he did uh -huh. some shady shit and also had one of the best in theater fighting situations of all time. Thank you, um, Crash Course Theater, which I just watched this morning. Crash so, Course Theater. Uh, oh my with... gosh, I'll include the link. It was fabulous. Was um, that Mike Rugnetta? Yes, I think so. I love Mike Rugnetta. He's hysterical. Okay, okay so continue. Henrik Johan Ibsen, and I apologize right now to all of our Norwegian listeners, of which I think there is one. Do, um, that's like, do we have Norwegian? I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google while Tori exposits. Okay. He was born March 20th, 1828 in Skien, Telemark, Norway. Well, that doesn't yeah, sound real. So no Telemark, Norway. He was born into a family of wealthy merchants. His parents, Nud or Knud <laughs> and Marichen, both were born from well-known influential families as part of Norway. This cool. is where it gets interesting. 
Nud and Marichin were not blood related, but Nud's dad died. Uh, he was a sea captain and he died. And so his mom ended up marrying Marichin's brother, Marichin's mother's brother. So Nud and Marichin were basically raised as siblings or close cousins. Um, wow. They weren't blood related, but they grew up together. And their son was super fascinated by what he called their, quote, almost incestuous marriage. Okay. Um, he um, really in quick, place. and aside, we do have one percent of listenership in Norway. Thank you, Norway. We're sorry. Um, Thank you, Norway. I'm half sorry. When Henrik was about seven, his family lost pretty much everything due to financial ruin, and they had to permanently move into their former su- summer home, okay, um, called Wundstrup. Uh, that was more German than it should have been. Um, and right out, it was outside of the city. Um, he mm-hmm. said that houses there were often miles from each other, which I'm going to tell you right now sounds like an absolute freaking dream right now. You just want to live on the moors. I do, 100%, or the fjords. Um, <clears throat> so at 15, because of their financial situation, he left school and became an apprentice to a pharmacist or apothecary, if you watch the documentary. Um, he started writing in 1846, but at 18, he had a relationship with a woman named Elsie Sophie Jens Birkendel, and the far- who was the pharmacist's 28-year-old maid. She got pregnant, rather, he got her pregnant, and they had a son named Hans. Obviously, they never married. He paid child support until his son was 14. Never saw him, never met him. Um, that's better than some. Better than some, but still pretty shady. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried to go to college, but he didn't pass all the exams, so he couldn't really finish school. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, he started writing plays. He wrote a play called Catalina under a pseudonym, but it was never actually performed. Mm-hmm. His first play to be performed was called The Burial Mound, but it got no attention. Mm-hmm. Um, he kept writing plays. They kept not doing great, and he wouldn't really find success until he was like 36, which, hooray for me, there's still hope. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> So he ended up taking a job as a theater manager at Del Norte Theater, which is a very classic theater that's been around forever. Um, they gave him all kind of, this gave him tons of practical experience. So he actually mm-hmm. could see how the play was performed, you know, what kind of take you needed to have at the box office to make it successful, mm-hmm. what set pieces you needed, that kind of thing. So it really influenced his writing later on, which is why he became more successful. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1858, he went back to Christiana, where he was born, to run their theater, and he ended up marrying Susanna Thorsten, and they had, you know, they had their kids. Um, <laughs> but their financial situation was absolutely crap. Um, he kept trying to apply for all kinds of grants and funds for writers and artists, but was denied almost every time. Um, things got really rough, and he started drinking heavily and would pass out on the street, and everybody's like, oh, that's Ibsen. Um, he ended up getting a very small yearly pension and said, fuck this place. He was super frustrated and he moved his family to Italy. Where are you still getting this pension? Um, they okay. lived there for some time. They moved around to Germany, all over Europe, and they were away for 27 years in what he referred to as a self-imposed exile. Um, eventually, 27 years later, he did come back to Norway. It was very strange when he came back because he had been this playwright who was known for his... Um, dissenting nature of how society was run. He had written all these plays about um, critiquing society and how to make it, try to make it better. So their son Seeger, um, according to him, he says that there was no way that the plays would ever have gotten written if his mom hadn't supported Henrik with every fiber of her being. His quote was, 
he was the genius, she was the character, she was his will. So as always, we come back to the fact that this shit couldn't have gotten done if his wife wasn't there supporting him. Okay, but realistically, that's true for, like, everything ever. Yes. And it's something I'm, I'm very interested in exploring because, like, you'll go through and you'll be like, oh, well, what about this great Russian writer? And you're like, oh, his wife did all of the following so that he didn't die. I like, feel oh. like I, I love that part of our dichotomy is that I'm the person who's willing to like soft go to the mat for terrible fictional men and you are like the wives of writers like champion. I have yet to finish one of these cookies. I'm determined to by the end of this recording I will have eaten one of these cookies. I made my own and I ate two of them? Two and a half? I'm very proud of you for making your own. I refuse to have desiccated coconut in my house. Anyway, so um Ibsen tried to write a long ass epic poem but he got stuck so he turned it into a play that was designed to be read and performed by one person Mm -hmm. in 1873 he published A Doll's House and this is where he kind of found his niche as a writer um criticizing society life Ibsen became the and still is the second most performed playwright Shakespeare is the first I don't Um, believe that but I love it he well because most of his plays get performed in Europe we're like that Ibsen Um, so he ended up having these massive mutton chop things on the side of his face like and towards the end of his life it kind of connected at the chin but like if you ever see a statue of Ibsen or an illustration he's just got these big things it's kind of like um what is this I can't remember it's star something on community the guy who's got like the stars sideburns anyway starburns there we go um he wrote his plays in Norwegian, but the common language of the time was Danish, so they ended up being put into Danish, um, but they were still almost always set in Norway or someplace else where he had traveled, like Italy. Mm-hmm. His agent in Germany absolutely hated the original ending for A Doll's House and said German theaters wouldn't accept it, mm-hmm. um, partly because of that, partly because he needed to have an acceptable ending in order to prevent the translator from alternating his work. Mm-hmm. Ibsen wrote an alternative ending where Nora is taken in to see her children at the end and collapses before the curtain is brought down. So it's implied that she stays and she doesn't actually leave. But like I said earlier, no one uses this ending. Let um, her leave. 2006 was the 100 year anniversary of Ibsen's death, and um, A Doll's House was the most performed play that year. Ibsen is said to have based the play, and this is fascinating, on Laura Keeler, who was a friend. She had taken out an illegal loan to try and find a cure for her husband's tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. She wrote to Ibsen asking if he'd help her find a publisher for her work so she could pay down the debt. She had forged a check for money, and when Ibsen said, or after Ibsen said no, she was mm-hmm. caught. Killer's husband, Victor, divorced her and sent her to an asylum. Oh, sure. She ended up getting out and becoming a very famous Norwegian author. That's cool. So, um, which now, I'm, so we've, we've, I've gone from my obsessed with Australia and and uh, New Zealand and those authors to mm-hmm. Russia and being obsessed with those authors and mm-hmm. now I'm moving into Iceland Norway Denmark it's a problem uh, some Finland too so throw me your suggestions um yeah Scandinavia is great when it comes to that stuff when it goes so bad um Ibsen was nominated multiple times for the Nobel Prize in Literature including in 1902 1903 and 1904 he did that win 
Um, while he ended up influencing a lot of writers, including Samuel Beckett and Oscar Wilde, Ibsen always tried to obscure his influences. He said that really the only thing he ever read were Norse epic sagas. No, no, that's not true. We know that. I, I feel true. like you can see a lot of influences in this work. Like, it, like yeah. it does feel Shakespearean. The whole like not setting things in your home. Like, yeah, he's a he's a Norwegian Shakespeare for better or worse. My this is my favorite part, and this is um, I will include the episode that this came from for Crash Course Crash Theater. Course. Ibsen had a mortal enemy who was a Swedish pay- playwright with the last name Strindberg. They had this huge, ridiculous rivalry because um, Ibsen was more realistic-based and more, this is where we're, we're going to go. These are actual people doing actual things. And Strindberg was more um, kind of a fantasy dream speaking in symbols. Mm-hmm. So Ibsen actually had a portrait of um, Strindberg that he purchased to put over his desk so he could look at it and remind himself that the man looked delightfully mad. He renamed it a portrait of a madman, if I remember the right phrasing. Strindberg thought was a little bit paranoid. He definitely had some mental issues and he thought Ibsen was constantly writing about him. Um, So he was super paranoid, but very entertaining. And Mm -hmm. so, and got really into the occult. So now I need to find out everything I can about Strindberg. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that it also sounds like Swinburne, which is one of my other favorite writers. But anyway, um, Ibsen was really big on avoiding people, which, mm-hmm. big fan. Um, <laughs> and he uh, lived with his wife. And like I said, everything was very big on them acting like there was no scandal. There had never been any scandal. They were very big on living on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Um, he died May 23rd, 1906 at 78 in Christiana, which is now Oslo, mm-hmm. um, Norway. He died from a series of strokes. What was really interesting is his last words, it's like the most Ravenclaw shit ever. A nurse told the visitor that he was starting to do better and Henrik yelled in Norwegian, on the contrary. Mood. Last words, right? Said nothing else, died the next morning. Perfect. Um, his descendants, he has a lot of very famous descendants, um, some actors and, and the like, but the most famous is Sigurd Ibsen, who was a prime minister of Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ibsen Museum reopened in 2006 for the centennial of his death in Oslo. It mm-hmm. was where he lived the last 11 years of his life, but the museum is currently closed partially due to COVID, but mostly because they're redesigning it and it'll be open again in 2021. Lovely. All right, I got no listener questions on my end. I also received uh, no listener questions, but um, <laughs> you reminded me of my famous, uh, of my favorite last words, which I think are probably of no surprise to you. Is it Oscar Wilde? Of course. Yes, do it, say it. My wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One or the other of us has to go. I hope that my last words are at least funny. Or like very poignant but that'll probably be like my bed pants full right like because i think i think to have okay this is gonna get like more uh existential than i think i wanted i think to have last words that means that you have to be aware that you're dying and i don't think i want that responsibility like i want death to like take me while i sleep i don't want to have like the existential awareness of i am going to be taken off this earth because then I have the responsibility of being funny and I don't want that because you're right. Like I can't imagine like having to, 
Because I think I'm a funny person sometimes. But I don't want that responsibility upon my deathbed to have to also leave with something poignant and witty that I don't know who's going to be with me, but whoever the fuck is with me, some hopefully attractive nurse. (laughs) You know, I just don't want that responsibility. What was that thing that you sent me, I think it was yesterday, about that there's like an island in someplace in Scandinavia. Oh, Svalbard, where it's illegal to die without notice. (laughs) Because they can't bury anyone because bodies don't degrade the way that they normally would because it's so close to the Arctic Circle. Yeah, it's in uh, Svalbard, which is actually very, very close to Norway. Um, They have a ton of wolves, like so many wolves. Um, Yeah, like it's illegal to die there in like one city without like it's just illegal to die there. Like, if you know that you're dying, you have to make, like, arrangements to leave, which I think is the greatest. Like, how do you make death an even bigger inconvenience? We I'm hoping just, that you're scratching the cat. I am. And okay, he's fighting. He's having see, a great time. Because I just stick. see arm. Arm and stick in the corner. Yeah. He's good. I'm glad he's Nemo's not. having a great time. He's having so much fun with this recording. He's like, you guys can always talk about Norway. I will be nor- your Norwegian forest cat, and I'm like you. He is not big small. enough, or fierce enough, or fluffy no, enough. he he combats fear by falling onto his side and looking up at me like a fainting goat. So I do love fainting goats. They kind of are. Uh, is there a less appropriate way to say spirit animal? Uh, a lot of people have moved to Patronus, but, but then she's that's bad now, now. Difficult. Yeah. Anyway, we'll find it. <sighs> we'll find a new one. Please appreciate me trying to be PC, saying, is there a less appropriate? <laughs> um, so we got no listener questions, I think is fine, because we've already been here for an hour. <laughs> Listen, we miss each other, okay? We do! Like, that wasn't said in shade! That was, like, gen- that was genuine. I have eaten one cookie. I'm proud of you. You They're tried not something new ba- today. Well, no, I've eaten them before. Tori, I'm 250 pounds. I've obviously eaten a coconut macaroon in my life. I just don't like them. Um, I got the chocolate bottom ones. What? Did you get them from Whole Foods? No. H-E-B. Oh. Um, This one is slightly melted. It looks like a cat stepped in it. (laughs) It's like a very, very tiny cat stepped on this macaroon. Um, So I got the chocolate bottom ones. I think that is what is saving me. Um, Because I think... If I have to get through the top part that's just mostly coconut, it's not the flavor. It's just the texture. I just think, I think like the texture of shredded coconut is essentially like you've asked me to like eat my grandmother's corpse. You have asked me to dig up my grandmother and like do something with her flesh. Pretty gross. Desiccated coconut. Because um, I remember used to call it shredded. It's desiccated. <laughs> um... So we already talked about this up at the top. Uh, you did not have to read this in school. You read this for fun because you are a nerd? Yes, I am an absolute nerd. And my cat just sneezed like three times, four, five times in a row. Are you Your okay? cat is possessed? Bro, are you dying? No, he's fine. He just has a lot of hair. Okay, anyway. He's allergic to his own hair? I think so. That's so sad. He's so furry too. Anyway. Um, um, yeah, no, I read it for fun because that's the kind of nerd I am. I read this in school, and I got to have a great time uh, airing my trauma. Um, oh, we get to have our debate. Who is, as a Billie Eilish says, the bad guy? That was a very, like, not timely reference at all. 
Um, my knee-jerk reaction is still Krogstad. Well, okay. Between Nora and Torvald, we all know who the actual bad guy is. He's like fucking dick dastardly in the corner. Uh, Torvald. Really? Because he doesn't try to look into his wife at all. He just wants the convenience of it. I mean... <sighs> okay, that's fair. I still see him as a product of his time. I think in this instance, Nora is still slightly the worst person only because if at any point in time she was just like, hey, there is some fuckery going down. Also, I do feel like there's a way to do this without abandoning your family. I don't know what it is, but I do feel like there is a way to do it without abandoning your family. It did feel a little uh, throw baby out with bathwater, but I guess there wasn't really couples therapy back then. No, there wasn't. I mean, I don't think Freud had really stepped onto the scene too much yet. Did Freud care about couples or was he just worried about your feelings about your parents? I mean, probably a little bit of both. And uh, then you get into Jung and different personality types and archetypes. Oh, Jung. Which is apparently what a Princess Diana had her husband read on their honeymoon night in separate wow. beds. Why do I know that at the top of my head? I don't know. I'm concerned. <laughs> but yet not surprised. I, I love that I just called Tori a nerd and I have to like show up that I'm a, Oh, I also have this tiny can of knockoff Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Dr. B. Yes. That I actually like quite a bit. H-E-B has this knockoff uh, soda that's not Dr. Pepper. It's called Dr. B. And I actually think it is quite delicious. They have an apple soda that I kind of want to buy, but it's only available in six-pack. And the only reason why I don't want to get it in a six-pack is that if it's bad, I will cry. Because I love apple-flavored things. But I think apple, like, right underneath grape, or, like, is, like, the flavor that this could go horribly wrong Wait, you can settle an age-old debate because you are technically a Yankee. Uh-oh. Tori, Kool-Aid, you know the drink. Mm-hmm. When I say red, what flavor is that? Cherry or fruit punch? You, one. Which okay. one? Cherry. Which, okay. Is that right? I don't know. I mean, it's right because that's my answer, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. Because, so a lot of Southerners will say it's fruit punch. A lot of Yankees will say cherry. So I've always known it as cherry being red. But I am half Yankee on my mom's side. So I guess that makes sense. Do you like that I gave both technically appropriate answers at once? (laughs) Well, yeah, because you're a California Yankee. You can't upset anyone. I'm like, um, we're a a state that, like, they were trying to divide into five because that's how weird we are. But anyway. I still think that should be a thing. I think Texas right along with it. I think Texas should be five states. I think California should be five states. I think, like, New York just seems to be, like, the Hunger Games where, like, everyone has their own little districts and then they fight. Um. Texas is weird. And it's just, like, I, I try to explain to people. One, H-E-B is a pilgrimage if you've never been to one. Um, I think it depends on which H-E-B you go to. I think everyone my, should go to the H-E-B out of 1604. My friend goes to the one in, or one of the ones in Austin every time she comes out for South by Southwest. Because she has to go get, like, the Whataburger, like, fry bag things. And then the sauces, like, and then just things that only H-E-B has. And mm-hmm. I'm like, 
Terry, you know I'll I'll send these to you if you want me to. And she's like, no, I, I just need to go. It's a pilgrimage. I'm like, okay. But that's neither here nor there. Obviously, uh, I love you, Terry, but... <laughs> H-E-B is a place that I like quite a bit. I do wish that they were cleaner on occasions. Some Depending on the H-E-B that you go to, yeah. some of them look like they have not been tended to in a thousand years. Yeah, it's it's very interesting when you go to the plus stores also versus like the tiny ones and places like Burnett where it's super small. Anyway, the Kingsland one I will never live down, but So, um that was a fun episode. What are we reading next? We are reading The Giver by Lois Lowry because I think we hate ourselves. You know, every once in a while, uh we've been trying to do this like weird reprieve uh from books that hurt us but if we're doing unfortunately required reading that means that we have to do books that were required and uh not every book that was required was good and or kind so i guess let's get ready to talk about some weird eugenics stuff i'm not gonna say yay eugenics because i don't agree with that but that was the first thought in my head anyway Oh, um, we do have to say obligatory for our listeners in uh, South Texas. A hurricane is a coming. <laughs> it is very cloudy here in San Antonio. Now, will we get hit? Probably not. Will we get tropical storm weather? Yes. Yes. Uh, so even though you should already be inside, because there's also a pandemic, I'm not here to shame anyone. But if you're not inside, you should already be inside. And just be careful because uh, we, I'm not going to say we love you because that's a lot of pressure to put on both hosts, but um, we do worry about you and want you to be okay. Don't play in hurricanes because that sounds like something a bunch of South Texans would do. Did you know that this is our 40th episode? What? Our 40th episode. We What's have done our... this shit 40 times now. Okay. Well, more than that. Well, actually, more than that because it's way more than 40. But. Wow, I feel old now. So, what, like, is 50 the milestone, or, like, what do we do for 50? Weep openly? I, I, I don't know. Amanda spits out wine. Amanda Obviously. Spits, spits if you were on our wine. social media, tell us what you think we should do for our 50th episode, I guess. Yeah, like, maybe we can do a live episode, and you guys get to see all of the shit we talk before we hit record. Oh, God, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we've kind of started including some of it just because we can't really edit when we're doing it directly from Zoom. But there's still stuff you don't hear, just letting yeah. you know. Well, I mean, we can, but I'm just too lazy to uh, actually pull the footage and go through and read it And I completely respect and... that because I am also exhausted. Um, also, if you haven't, there is a group called Historical Memes for Anachronistic Teens who has some amazing czar shit posting, which um, I highly recommend. If you know yes. anything about um, pre-Bolshevik revolution, te- um, Texas, wow, Russia. Um, well, see, we have Bolsheviks. I mean, I'm sure we have Bolsheviks. Oh, should we, we talk we, about Rasputin's penis? Oh my gosh, that was the best conversation. So last night, I'm watching this travel man of all things, mm-hmm. and something gets brought up about Rasputin about Rasputin's penis being in a museum and I mm-hmm. went oh my gosh Rasputin's penis is in a museum and my husband looks over and goes don't worry I'm already looking it up which 
that's in marriage right there, folks. That um, is. And he turns it to me, and there is a large a picture of a very large penis in a jar. And this the story gets better even after I talk to you. So I tell Amanda that Rasputin's penis is in a jar and ask her if she'd like to see it. Amanda responds, no, thank you. And I, she goes, thank you for not just sending it to me. And I say, I don't send dick pics without asking. And I get a response of, you know how to treat a lady. Well, <laughs> oh, we just got a really big wind gust. Okay, anyway, storms are coming. Um, yes. <laughs> I look at Mark last night and he sa I said, that was a really large penis to which he responds, I think a lot of that was just inner penis. And I laughed and I said, what is inner penis? And he goes, where do you think big dick energy comes from? And that was the entire conversation because I could not stop laughing. I have so many concerns. I have so many concerns. What the fuck is an inner penis? I don't know. All of my birds are chirping outside, so I guess the storm is heading my way. And that's and those aren't any of the birds that I care about. The only bird I care about is Sophie the magpie as a denizen of Britannia. And she is very far away. She so is very far away. We're probably going to need to wrap this up just in case something happens in regards yeah, to Yeah, fine. We'll wrap it up. The storm is ruining our fun. Um, it ruins everything, anyway. Corey, would you like to tell our listeners where they can find us? So we're all over social media at Unfortunately <laughs> Required Reading on Facebook. Unfortunately RR on Twitter unfortunately required on Instagram where you can see pictures of the pod cat as well as um, Dusty the world's most beautiful doll which was fucking creepy. Um, Leave Dusty alone. <laughs> also unfortunately required reading.com if you're like me and you're lazy and you just want to go to one place where everything is so you don't have to look for everything. Um, if you would like to submit to the wine and or cheese fund you're welcome to become a sponsor. Uh, just follow our anchor and there is an option to do so there. This is the part where we thank our existing sponsors for allowing us to do this fuckery on a regular. Thank you, Baron Von Cheeseplate and Chris. Thank you, Baron Von Cheeseplate, even though you didn't leave us any questions. And I can say that because I know you personally as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Amanda. Yes. Uh, oh, if you'd like to suggest a book for the podcast or have a funny story, email us. It's all on the website. Uh, we have a hurricane coming, so go read a book. Bye. Bye.